For those of us um, at home, for those of us in the building, why don't we pray as we um, consider this passage together. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who loves to be in relationship with us, who loves to speak to us. And we pray as we look at this story, as we look at this parable that Jesus told, that you would give us hearts that are open to all you want to say to us this morning. And we do it in your name. Amen. Well, yesterday was um, Prince Philip's um, funeral, um, and you may have watched it. It was a, a service that was full of Christian hope. Uh, it was a, a sad service to watch. Um, but for Prince Philip, it wasn't the end of the story. Um, reading from the order of service, the, um, the order of service quoted John 11, 25, 26. I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever, whoever so liveth and believeth in me shall never die. It wasn't the end of the story for Prince Philip. Over the last few weeks since his death, um, some of those who met Prince Philip and had their lives touched by him have been telling their stories. We learnt about Prince Philip's sense of humour, his ability to put people at ease his encouragement of those who were too shy or too scared to meet the Queen. Many have spoken of the way that nothing escaped his eager gaze, particularly lateness. We wonder sometimes, don't we, what it would be like to meet famous people. Uh, what will we say to them? What will they say to us? The extraordinary promise at the centre of the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral service yesterday, the message at the heart of the Christian message, is that one day we will meet Jesus face to face. And I wondered if you've ever wondered what that will be like. What will we say to Jesus? What will Jesus say to us? Well, the great thing about the Bible is that we don't have to meet Jesus to hear him talking to us. We have, been, uh, we have the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' ministry, of Jesus drawing alongside the lonely, the confused, the proud, the insecure, the rich, the poor, the powerful, and the powerless. And over the past few weeks and through some of the eyewitness accounts, we've had a seat at the dinner parties that Jesus attended, the dinner parties that he spoke at. We've been in the room when Jesus has gathered his disciples around him to teach them, to prepare them. And we've stood in the crowd as Jesus has taught. And specifically, we have been listeners to the stories that he told. And in our series on the parables, we've heard again the parable of the lost sheep, the story of the good Samaritan, the story of the workers in the vineyards, the story of the prodigal son, the story of the sower, and last week the story of the man who hosted a banquet. And as Jesus tells these stories, he's not simply telling this parable, this story, he's encouraging a reaction from his audience. In each of the parables, Jesus is challenging his audience to consider their response, their lives, 
as he tells these stories. And through the powerful use of these stories, Jesus is firmly but gently asking us to look at our hearts. He's asking his listeners to make the link between the story he's telling and their attitudes and assumptions, their actions, their relationships, their prejudices, their pride. For example, in the story of the prodigal son, do we associate with the younger brother or the older brother? Which brother best describes our heart? And that's exactly the case with this short story, this short parable that we're looking at this morning that Josh read so brilliantly, the final story in this series as we look at the parables that Jesus told. And the story comes at the end of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. We join the crowds at the side of the mountain, eagerly listening in as we hear Jesus teaching on living a fruitful life. It's like God is opening the owner's manual. We won't have time this morning to go through, to read through the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, But I would encourage you to read through the Sermon on the Mount this coming week. Uh, through chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, You only need to set about 10 minutes aside to do it. Um, I would encourage you to do it this week. Uh, You might want to do that with a friend over Zoom. You might want to do it with a family member. You might want to do it as a family. And the Sermon on the Mount is packed full of, of wisdom for living a fruitful life. The lessons were radical and countercultural 2,000 years ago. And you'll see as you read that through this week that there is radical and countercultural today. Show love for your enemies. Offer forgiveness when people do you wrong. Do not judge others unless you've done nothing wrong yourself. Don't store treasures on earth. Seek out the untold riches of a relationship with God. And two approaches to life are spelt out an approach to life based on God's priorities of peace, forgiveness, an approach that takes God's priorities seriously and puts others first. And a worldly approach to life, based on worldly justice, that puts our priorities before God's, that puts our priorities before others. And Jesus ends his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount by telling a simple story, the story that Josh read. But as he does so, he's challenging those who hear to consider what's going on in their hearts. What are they considering in their hearts as they hear his teaching? And the story is a simple one of two builders embarking on two house building projects. And as with all of Jesus' parables, the scene would have been really familiar to those who were listening. Families would buy a plot of land to build a house, and these were in the days before concrete. And so you'd be looking for an area of ground that had a solid foundation, a rocky base. I remember when I was a little boy, mum and dad built a garage on the side of the house and I was really excited as the builders arrived. And every day I'd rush home from school to see how much of the garage had been built. And day after day, seemingly nothing had happened. They spent the first week building the foundations, building the wooden blocks, pouring the concrete in. Nothing seemed to be happening. 
Uh, and we'll see that in, in buildings as we see them start to get developed in, in London. Like all buildings, as much work went into preparing the foundations as actually building up the garage. And we can imagine that both houses that each builder looked uh, that each builder built looked identical as they finished. The final lick of paint was applied, the final touches are made, and there they stood, these two new houses. They looked the same, but they couldn't be more different. And to see the difference, we just need to add water. You'll see that in verse 25, a storm comes in. The rain starts, the wind blows, and house number one stands firm. In verse 27, we see what happens to house number two, the house built on sand. The storm comes in, the rain starts, the house falls apart and crashes to the ground. And Jesus is really blunt, but he's 100% honest in his description of the two builders. The first builder the builder who built the, hand, the house on rock was wise. The second builder, the builder who built the house on sand, was foolish, was stupid. In verse 24, Jesus challenges his listeners to consider their reaction to his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is explaining that it's all about our foundations. Ben mentioned it when, when he was sharing his journey of faith. It's about our foundations. As Christians, we're called to live lives that live out the radical values that Jesus outlined in the Sermon of the Mount. Love for our enemies, lives that are full of grace and forgiveness, to have hearts, the outcasts, to invest our time and our money in the eternal, not the transitory, to under understand the sanctity of relationships, that our actions, words and thoughts should please God and not the world. So this is about our foundations. Remember, both houses would have looked identical. The message of this parable is that God is interested in what is going on in our hearts. We can be brilliant at times of presenting a great image to the world. We can be great at curating our image on social media. Uh, not much on social media to see broken down cars, washing lines in the kitchen. We curate a, a, an image and the house can look great. But the parable, the story of, of, of what Jesus is saying is, is about our foundation. We are children of a God who loves us, who's desperate to be in relationship with us, who sent his son into the mess of our world to rescue us, to die for us, a God who longs to spend eternity with us. God knows our hearts, he knows our struggles, our insecurities, and through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, build your foundation on my rock. We are loved infinitely and cherished by the Creator God, 
And through that love, he calls us to love others. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is asking, is calling his listeners to live lives in that context. To live lives built on that foundation. This coming week is our new Vicar Joe's induction service. And it marks a new chapter in the life of our church. Joe has already indicated that as we emerge out of the worst of this pandemic, we'll have quite a lot of rebuilding to do. We'll need to respond to the changing needs of the community around us. We'll need to be ready to share our hope in Christ with others who Jesus is desperate to reach out to. We'll need to learn afresh how to live as a community of grace. Stephen Cotterell, the Archbishop of York, recently addressed the General Synod of the Church of England, and he said this. Amid a time of trauma, loss and struggle in this country and around the world, Christians have proved to be people of hope. I'm thankful that despite all the horrors of a COVID world, we are learning a new contentment, a new commitment to Christ and how to be a humbler, simpler church. And we are putting Christ at the centre of our lives and learning very, very, very painfully what it means to be a church that is dependent on Christ alone. A church built on solid foundations. And the Archbishop of York isn't talking about the bricks that we can see around us for those gathered in church this morning. We can, I think, assume that the structure of this building is solid, but it's not what the Archbishop of York is talking about. The Archbishop is referring to you and he's referring to me. And he's referring to those joining online this morning, as much of those here in the building. This community of Christians who make up All Souls St. Margaret's. As we embark on the next chapter of the story of All Souls under Joe's leadership, it's worth us asking ourselves the question that Jesus is asking through this story, through this parable. Is Christ, his grace, his countercultural and radical call on our lives, our rock? our foundation. Let's take a moment just to think about that quietly in our hearts um, and we'll, we'll pray as we close. Father God, you know us individually. Uh, you know the state of our hearts. And Father God, we pray your help as we Make Jesus the rock underpinning all we do. As we think about this next chapter as a church, we pray that we would have lives built solidly on Christ's foundation. We'll need your help to do it. And so we pray it in your name. Amen.